Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to have a discussion board, we're going to have a long communion message. And uh, it's interesting because, as, as you know, God spoke to me towards the end of last year and said, I want you to do, um, spend a lot of time on, on the book of Revelation, to go through the book of Revelation, and we will. But uh, just over the last two weeks, I've really felt more and more convicted that I actually need to spend some time talking about Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews itself was written by somebody who no one can work out who wrote it. It might have even been written by more than one person, but it's one of the books, in fact, it's the only book in the Bible where there's no group of theologians who said, yep, I reckon such and such or so and so wrote this. I've got a friend who says, yep, that was God's idea because if we don't know who wrote it, then it must not, it could only be the Holy Spirit. And uh, the book of Hebrews is all about the superiority of the new covenant. The whole focus of the book of Hebrews is about how this better covenant totally replaces the old covenant. And so the author or authors of the book of Hebrews are at pains to, to teach beyond all shadow of doubt that we have a new covenant. We have standing under this new covenant. The audience was most probably Jewish Christians, possibly those who were living in Rome, uh, because Italy is mentioned in the, in the letter. And uh, if, if that is so, if the intended audience was the Jewish Christians in, in, in Rome or throughout the, the Roman Empire, then many of them were questioning their faith because they were being persecuted. See, after, after Jesus was resurrected, they, they formed the opinion that his second coming was imminent. That they were expecting it to happen in their, their own lives. And so the persecution was unexpected. They didn't anticipate that they would go through this period of, of persecution. They were persecuted not only by the Jews, who remained true as it were to the law, but they were persecuted by the Romans and others because they were seen as a sect that either was or could be dangerous. So they were having a pretty tough time and as a result they were questioning their faith and some of them were going back to the old Jewish faith. And so chapter 10 kind of rounds off nine chapters of argument about the superiority of the new covenant and the full meaning of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So I'm reading from the New King James Version of the, the Bible, if you want to read along. And I'm hoping to get through the whole of chapter 10 today, because I want to get back into Revelation next week. So here we go. The first point which is made in this chapter is that under the New Covenant, under this new time in human history, Animal sacrifices are insufficient. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come or being a representation of the good things to come and not the very image or not the reality of things can never 
with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Why was that? Because the law didn't do away with sin. The law provided a means of covering sin. But it didn't do away with sin. For then, would they have not ceased to be offered? So if they were able to deal with sin, would they have not ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So what the author is saying is that under the new covenant, there is no place for sacrifices. But let me focus on this little phrase, no more consciousness of sins. If it was possible under the law to be purified of sin, then they would no longer have a consciousness of sins. In other words, there would be no thought in their mind about sin. And I think this is a really important little phrase. Because through the blood of Jesus Christ, which ushered in the new covenant, our sin is not covered, but it is washed away. We are Purified, not just for one year, but for all time. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour in our lives, that instant, our sin is not covered, but it is done away with. God remembers it no more. And we, have no consciousness of sin. Just as there was no consciousness of sin before the law. It was law that brought sin into our consciousness. And as Christians, you know, so often we focus on sin. We have in our mind that we're sinners. In fact, there are some denominations that still teach we are just Sinners saved by grace. We're not. We are not sinners. Earlier on in Hebrews, this is what it says. It says, such as these. It lists off a great long list of sins. And then it says, such as these you once were. History. Gone. Past. You. Me. We are not sinners. We're not sinners. We're talking here about a God's perspective. Right? Hebrews is about God's perspective. I don't care what you think or what anyone else thinks or what the world is trying to push on you or what some empty doctrine is trying to push on you. As far as God is concerned, you're not a sinner because Jesus Christ took upon Himself all your sin, past, present and future and He has purified you. Every sin, past, present and future, washed away. 
by the blood of Jesus. And if that wasn't true, then Jesus would have to die on the cross again and again and again. But the Bible teaches that His sacrifice was a once for all sacrifice. That means a once for all time and a once for all people sacrifice. It's very hard for us to take this in. That somehow even our future sin could be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. But it's the truth. Listen, read John 1, 3 to 9. Uh, sorry, 1. Blah, blah, blah. I'm getting so excited, I'm racing ahead of my tongue. <laughs> 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. This is what it says. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, and his seed, that's God's seed, that means Jesus, remains in him. That's a lowercase him or her. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. See that? From God's perspective, when God sees you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint, someone who's been totally cleansed of their sin. It's gone. And here it says you cannot sin. If you're of God, you cannot sin. Now, I believe what that means is, see, the spirit man cannot sin because the spirit inside, that's been regenerated. That happens the instant you were saved. You become a new creation. Old things pass away. Old things include all your sin. Pass away. A consciousness of sin. Pass away. You're a new creation. That's the... The Spirit, the regenerated Spirit. Because it is the Spirit of God, Christ in you, your spirit cannot sin. Now you might sin with your mind or your soul and your body, but your spirit, that, that's the only way you can understand that Scripture. Because you and I both know that in, in a soulish sense, in, in a body sense, we do sin. We lose our temper. Maybe we gossip. Maybe we do something even worse. Drive on the wrong side of the road for 500 metres up here and been in drive on a Saturday morning at half past seven. Maybe we do things like that. But you see, the spirit man cannot sin. Is this an excuse to sin? Absolutely not. You know, I've shared this with you before. In Romans chapter 6, the strongest language that you will find in the New Testament, it is almost swearing. Paul says... Is it an excuse to sin? No. Absolutely not, says Paul. Absolutely not. And when you get a revelation of what it means to be saved, sin is a long way from your mind. You haven't got a consciousness of sin. Because you've been saved right out of it. Into the glorious kingdom of God. You've been taken from the darkness and into the light that is His kingdom. The writer of Hebrews then goes on to say, Christ's death fulfills God's will. And there's a quote here from Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. In one of my commentary Bibles, I see a list of scriptures that have the same idea in them. There's about 17 different scriptures in the Old Testament that could equally have been quoted here. Therefore, when he, that is when, when, uh, when, when Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, 
but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And then the writer actually goes on to explain what that quote means. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. And here we're talking about the first covenant under the law and the second covenant under grace. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, sanctified has two meanings. It has, in a sense, an instantaneous meaning. At the, at the moment that we're saved, we're sanctified, which means we're set apart. We're then set apart for God's purposes. Just as in the, in the, in the Old Testament days, we, we'd set apart perhaps the firstborn son, dedicated to God. So we're separated, we're set apart, we're dedicated to God. But there's another sense in which sanctification is ongoing because the same Greek word which is translated holy or holiness is translated sanctified. See, we are being made holy, that's a process. You see, that's why sometimes after our born-again experience, although our spirit has been regenerated, we are a new creation, we still carry with us old thought patterns and old habits. It can, say, it can sometimes be a process by which we, we stop sinning, you know, because our, our soul, our body has to be invaded by this new spirit before it will change. And that's why I know some preachers say we've got to get stuff from our head to our heart. I say, absolutely, I think they're wrong. I'm really sorry. I don't want to upset everybody, but you've got to get it from your heart to your head. Right? Because the Spirit is already renewed. It's been regenerated. It's been recreated. And you've got to get the truth of the living Christ in you from your spirit into your soul and into your body. That's what sanctified me. We're set apart instantaneously the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. But then there's this process by which God makes us more holy day by day. Right at the end of that sentence it says, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, uh, in the King James, in the New King James Version, those two words for all are in italics. And what that means is that the translators have added those words. They weren't in the original. So they've added those words just to help with meaning. But, but if we leave those two words off, listen to what it says. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once. That's why... We don't need to have a consciousness of sin, yet we don't live that way because Jesus died once. He's not going to do it again. And see, the problem with this notion that our future sin hasn't been forgiven is that, you see, if we do sin and we don't have time to repent before we die, are we going to heaven or hell? 
It just doesn't make sense. So all our sin is dealt with. All our sin is dealt with. And as Paul says, that doesn't mean we should go on sinning. And I'll tell you, we'll come to a pretty scary piece of scripture in just a minute. Christ's death perfects the sanctified. Wow. Again, this is God's view. What? It doesn't matter what you or I think. It doesn't matter what anyone else has told us. It doesn't matter what we've read. This is what God thinks. Christ's death perfects the sanctified. You are sanctified. That happened the instant you received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You were set apart for God's purposes and then you were set on this path of being made more and more holy day by day through your interactions with the Holy Spirit. And then God says, it is Christ's death that has perfected you. Wow. This is what God thinks. He's perfected you. And every priest stands maintaining daily and offering repeatedly, sorry, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered the one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We're being sanctified. <laughs> The death of Jesus Christ has perfected us forever. As far as God is concerned, is concerned I'm having a lot of trouble with my pronunciation today. Aren't I? It's because I'm excited. I want to shout and holler. I really do. I'm excited. I've been in this chapter for over two weeks now. And I can't get away from it because of the truth it contains. For by one offering, this Jesus Christ who died once he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he said before this is a lovely way of writing English for after he said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, this is the after bit, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. There's no longer an offering. So, and you know what? Sometimes you see our guilt, you know, in our little minds, our guilt becomes our offering for sin. It's not going to make any difference because God's already dealt with it. He's already coped with your sin. And you've been perfected forever. This um, passage, by the way, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord, is from Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. And in there, he's, he's giving an assurance to Israel that, see, ultimately, God is going to bring Israel into his family fold. Now, all of the Jews won't accept Jesus. I'm not saying that. But God has never, ever, ever forgotten Israel. 
He's never forgotten Israel. And you can rest assured that Israel is on his heart, in his mind, and in his plans. But you see, we too are covered by this promise. And the reason why we need have no consciousness of sin is that when we're saved, God writes His law on our hearts. And it is in our minds. Instead of a consciousness of sin, we have a consciousness of the grace by which God gave us the means out. For the Jews, it was law which covered their sin once a year for us and for anyone accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It's a covenant of grace. And our sin is totally dealt with. We're totally redeemed. We're totally washed clean. And the writer goes on to say, Hold fast to your confession. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. That's a reference to the veil in the temple that was torn apart when Jesus died. Symbolising the fact that we can come boldly to the very throne of God and we don't have to have any intermediary other than Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and who intercedes for us constantly. Through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's gone. An evil conscience, a consciousness of sin, gone. Our bodies, absolutely and totally clean. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good words, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day, of course, is the day of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an encouragement for us to actually get together and be the body gathered. And I've mentioned this a number of times over the last few weeks. This it's not, a, it's not a law, it's not a command, it's an encouragement. Come together. Come together. Ex exhortation is about encouragement and challenge. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm exhorting you to come to a point where you understand the meaning of salvation. We're sanctified, we're a new creation. Sin is totally dealt with. We no longer have a consciousness of sin because God's law is written on our hearts and it's in our minds. And it's law expressed through grace because the epistles also talk a lot about the gospel of grace. Now I just want to go on and read a couple more verses. I won't go through all of the chapter, but there's just a couple more verses I want to read. Because then the tone of the chapter changes. And this is what we read. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. We know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But some people read that and think, I'm in a lot of trouble if I sin. And this is where that notion that every time you sin, you need to repent just in case you die. Because if you don't repent and you die, you're going to go to hell. But if you place this into the context of the whole of the gospel, that's not how you should understand it. Notice the, the two words, sin willfully. What does it mean to sin willfully? Well, it means to sin knowingly and in, uh, in, in an act of defiance, rejecting Jesus. I actually think it's very hard to fall into this kind of sin because essentially you've got to have a mature knowledge and understanding of what Jesus did and what it means to be saved and you've got to repudiate it. And you see, in, in, in the Old Testament, the, the law recognised that people sinned, that you, you fall into sin. That's why they had the, the annual sacrifices, the atonement for sin, which would cover sin for another year. The law recognised that people sinned, sometimes even without really knowing and realising it. And under the covenant of grace, the new covenant of grace, that is recognised as well. But you see, in, 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 in ancient times, um, it was when, by sin, some, and I'm reading this, by sin, someone stated, I reject God's law. So it wasn't about accidental sin, if you like, or unpremeditated sin. It was saying, if, if, if in your heart you are saying, I'm sinning, I'm doing this deliberately, I've thought about it, and I am rejecting God's law. And then the punishment was death on the strength of two or three witnesses. So this is not about you and me falling into a sinful act. This is about someone who knows the truth and then actively rejects it. And when that happens, there's no sacrifice for sin. And in doing that, you're actually saying, I utterly reject what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And when someone does that, and there are one or two who have done that publicly over the years, then they are condemning themselves to death, eternally, in the lake of fire. But it doesn't mean if... if you happened to drive on the wrong side of the road because you weren't wide enough awake when you got out of bed early on a Saturday morning. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. And it doesn't even mean if you, if you do it and don't repent, you're going to go to hell. You've really got to understand it. And um, tomorrow I'm ready now. Oh, I was supposed to do a dance on stage so, so no one would know what it was about. So tomorrow I would know it's time to hand out the emblems. 
She's probably been waiting there for the last 15 minutes. When's she going to give me the signal? But I really wanted to do this today. <coughs> I really wanted to do this today. Because I don't want us to, you know, we do communion every Sunday. I don't want us to get to the point where we just do this by habit. Where it doesn't mean anything. That's good. It means everything. It means everything. Mm. Because Jesus dealt with sin. And sin isn't even meant to be on our minds at all. Our minds are to be filled with the grace of God. That's what Jesus Christ wanted for us. So let us take the emblems, the humble cracker, just bought from Coles. But it's a representation of his body that was broken. The Bible says it was marred beyond recognition as a human being. He was so badly beaten. There is no movie ever, ever, in which Jesus has been shown in the way he really was. He wasn't even recognisable as a human being. Every stroke he bore was a stroke that takes away sickness. It takes away sickness. It takes away poverty. It takes away social brokenness. It takes away all those things. And this juice, it's just grape juice, berry grape juice, also bought from coals. But you see, it represents the blood that he shed. Once. Once. He shed his blood enable us to come into the kingdom to go to the very throne of God knowing that Jesus Christ is interceding for us 24 hours a day 7 days a week Jesus said do this in remembrance of me so as we do it today let us remember let us remember the strong and powerful words of Hebrews chapter 10. This covenant is a better covenant. And through this covenant, our sin is dealt with. Not just covered, but it's dealt with totally. It's gone. Our consciousness is sprinkled. Our body is washed. We no longer have a consciousness of sin. We no longer have consciousness of sin. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this broken cracker and remember the broken body of Jesus. And we take this juice and we remember the shed blood of Jesus for us and for many for the remission of sin. In Jesus' name.